Welcome to Tilting at Windmills with your host, Mike Donahue. Hi, everyone. Uh, we are joined today um, by a pretty special guest, uh, someone who's way smarter than I am with a much larger vocabulary, judging from his papers. Um, but I think someone who is uh, going to have some pretty good insight into the political situation of the day and might challenge me on some of the built-in biases or uh, preconceived notions that I have uh, about our various political parties. So um, on the uh, line uh, is Dr. Peter Ditto. He is a professor of psychology science at the University of California, Irvine. Welcome, doctor. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. You bet. Um, so I wanted to start off with just a big Democrats are amazing and Republicans are idiots, but I would fear that I would fall sort of into the trap. Uh, if I do that. So I'd, I'd like to start off with a, um, a question we ask everybody just to sort of loosen things up in the beginning. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, TV, books, media, entertainment, anything to kind of escape the sort of uh, atmosphere that we're in right now. Is there anything that you've read or consumed uh, in the last month or so that you that you found particularly interesting? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, hmm. I mean, what I will... Let me take it at a, a larger level. I mean, there are a lot of people who are really stressed out about politics uh, today. Yeah. It's very stressful. It, it kind of weighs on people. Uh, it's hard to escape. You know, there's no real control. The media just rubs it in, and I mean, it, it's tough. And and you know, it's likely having some health consequences for people. Um, you know, what what people have recommended in the past. You know, you, you got to get away from it. Even people, you want to stay committed. If you're political, you want to do things, right? But you got to, you got to get away. You got to find some artistic endeavors. You got to find, you know, things like that. Even, you know, people talk about in the Holocaust that how, what, you know, this incredible comfort they found in, you know, during, during World War II and, uh, you know, uh, not just the Holocaust, but, you know, generally, right? Then people found lots of comfort in art and uh, diversions of, of various kinds. And so that's what, Go get a good book uh, and uh, listen to a good album. Uh, well, that's what I need. I need a recommendation on a, either a good book or a good album. I don't know. The, yeah. the Bruce Springsteen yeah. album is supposed to be really good. This Western star. So uh, there we go. That up. And patriotic. Uh, there you go. So, so I think one of the, um, it, it, when, when I'm hearing that and, and my, my sort of thing is there, there's, there's a, uh, against, I'm, I'm a very liberal, I'm a, you know, wine sipping, Volvo driving, mm -hmm. bedwetting liberal. I'm, I'm out there. Um, and there's this sort of, uh, growing, uh, thought amongst in my bubble that says, you know, people are just sort of happier when they turn off, like, come, like just block that stuff out. Is, is there, uh, like if you just sort of ignore everything, you, you sort of become happier. If, if that makes sense. Um, uh -huh. And I think there's a, a struggle of like, is this angst and anxiety w worth it, right? I'm involved, I'm informed, I'm aware, but it's it's taking a toll. Yes. And that's what I mean, I think, but there's a, 
I'm, I have no doubt at all that tuning out would help people's mental health, emotional well-being. But there's a cost to that, right? I mean, these are real politics is about real things. You know, you need people to be really engaged. You want people to know, to be informed. I mean, some of the problems we have in the country is that people don't know the facts and their politics organize their beliefs about the facts. And so you get this divergence and all these things. You want people, you know, as engaged as they can be. But I I think you have to take a break, right? You have to find that the problem with this sort of 24-hour news cycle, you know, just bombard you or it can. You can find this stuff everywhere. You can check you can, you know, 24 hours a day, you can find everything on the internet. So you just kind of, what I always recommend, yeah, everything in moderation, right? So, to, uh, you know, stay involved, but, you know, give yourself some mental health time as well. And I, I have to take that advice sometimes myself. Both my wife and I are sort of news junkies. And, uh, mm. you know, I watch both sides too. And, and uh, you know, it, it's pretty, uh, <laughs> it's pretty stressful sometimes. And and so you've been in psychology for a long. Sorry, not to I'm not, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, say this in a good way. You, you're very experienced. Um, is it true? Is my perception true that that graph of sort of people freaking out about politics has been getting a lot higher over over the years? Well, I don't. You know, polarization. So it's always been the case that we've had these sort of two sides. Um, that fight and people have always been nasty and and made things up and that you know, there's been variations in the amount of polarization but there's no question in the last couple of decades we've been on this upswing of both this kind of polarizing attitudes and belief and what what I'm particularly interested in is these kind of beliefs about facts or this gap where one side believes one set of facts and and one side believes another set right but all that that's sort of you know, the intensity that's new and what's and and the the dislike of the other side is what's really striking now that so much of what's going on is driven not by a love of our own side but by a distaste for the other you know so conservatives just don't like liberals and so they'll vote for sometimes crazy people because of their dislike of the other side you know, more, more data oriented, you get, if you, if you look at, um, like people who lean to one side or the other in the political, you know, people who say, well, I lean Republican, I lean Democrat. It's kind of interesting to ask those people why they lean that way. And when, when you, what you find is that the, the majority of them lean away from one side. So they're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning toward Democrats because I really hate Republicans or I lean toward Republicans because I really hate Democrats. So it's just this, it's this, you know, real intense dislike and sense of grievance that's just overwhelming about, gee, whether it's payback from one side to the other. All those things are sort of newer and more intense now and, and are sort of arcing up here uh, than they've been. You know, but, you know, the basic backdrop of this of this partisan fight's always been there. So and I, and I guess my layman's response to that is that we seem to be knuckling down into moral issues. So. Uh, Republicans hate liberals uh, because uh, we kill babies. Mm-hmm. Um, liberals hate Republicans because they, you know, uh, they put kids in cages. Right. right. Is is and it seems like there's we're we're starting to boil down these big issues tend to be sort of yes no type. There's very little middle ground I think when it comes to abortion that hasn't already been found or. 
I, I guess I, I'm trying to is is that playing into this? Is 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 the fact that we're touching on on moral uh, nerves uh, heightening the the situation that we're in? Absolutely. I mean, so that's you know, my uh, my real interests in, are, are in sort of are in both moral reasoning and political reasoning and the intersection of those two. You know, it's because morality is a part of politics, right? You're, you have some vision of what you think a good society is, you know, what's right and true and just, and you try to realize that through policy. But, you know, we're living in this sort of hyper-moralized time when the issue, when it's become a battle of tribes, right? So I always talk about people talk, you know, the, the, the metaphors that people use to talk about politics are, and one is teams, right? So there's a red team and a blue team. You kind of, and that teams are super fundamental to, to human existence, right? We, we're really groupy. Uh, we like to get into teams and they can have a lot of power. We can really dislike another team just because they're a team. But when you lay morality on top of that, when the two sides have a different sense of what's right and wrong, then you get tri- this tribal mentality that we've got where you, if you deviate from the group, it's not that you're disagreeing with the group. You're, you're, you're being disloyal. You're being sacral, you know, you're being sacrilegious now. And then that, that intensity. And I think you're, you're right. I mean, it, and it all fuel and it, it, it's in this cycle where it fuels itself where some, these moral issues make us kind of dislike each other because you dislike people more when, when they have a different moral view, but then we start to dislike each other and then everything gets moralized. So everything, mm. not that the other side, they don't just have a different, the same intention, but sure. a way of getting there. They have a different motive. They want to do something different. And I hate those people and how bad the Republicans are evil or, and liberals are evil. And, you know, we've got baby killers. And, and I mean, just like you're saying, it, it, it all feeds on itself. And so it's become this real tribal battle where people circle around these moral sort of totems. And then they, uh, you know, vilify the other side because they, they, each side sort of offends the other's morality. Right. So I think, um, to, I guess when I was growing up, when I was a, a, a kid or a teenager starting to, to think about voting, it was sort of ensconced in my, my head that, you know, everybody wanted a better America. They just had different paths of, yes. of getting there. Um, and I think what we're feeling now, to try and summarize that a little bit, is that the other party isn't just wrong they're bad. Right. Right. And it's, it's a whole line that's crossed. And then how do you, how do you come back from once you've said someone's bad or evil, how how do you tone that down or, you know, uh, resolve that in any way? Yeah. Because they stay evil. Yeah. It becomes this big, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's, and, and they, all those things again, sort of feed on each other. So when you disagree about issues, right. You could just, we, you know, that it's possible to say, well, we just have the same sort of goals, but we disagree. But it's, if somebody disagrees with you about important stuff, you start to dislike them, right? You start to view it morally, or maybe they're, they have got a different intention. They don't, you know, they, why do they want uh, these, these immigrants in the country? Well, it's not just because they differ about what they, they want it. You know, they're trying to take over, uh, you know, uh, you know, get all these de- new Democratic voters in and things like that. People, so it all becomes kind of this moral, mess where they're bad and good. And then, and just like you said, the other aspect of it to me that I'm so interested in now is grievance. It's, well, you did that to me in the past. And so I, it's okay for me to do this to you now that I've been wronged. 
I mean, and that changes the way people think and it has this escalatory quality to it. So the example I give a lot is, so if you would have asked Democrats five years ago, it, is it morally okay to take away a Republican president's Supreme Court pick? They probably would have said, no, that would be wrong. If you ask them now, right. they'd say, absolutely. But it's fine to do it because but, they but what they're bad. They, they took the pick away from right. us. And right. then, and in fact, it might even, and then the, the problem with payback, the payback comes <laughs> but with- But that's my initial, that's my initial, right? That's, yeah. I'm buying into that. I'm feeding into that. Yeah, exactly. And then, and again, every time you, and you, when you pay people back, you pay people back with interest, right? So you do a little bit more and then they go, well, we, yeah, maybe we did that, but you did worse. So he, it, it's like, and it's just the, the other, you know, analogy I use a lot is it's like two kids fighting in the back of the station wagon, Right. You know, and they're just beating on each other. And he asks, well, what's going on back there? One says, well, he hit me first. And the other one says, well, he hit me harder. Right? Everybody's aggrieved. Everybody thinks that there's something wrong. Right? And it's not somebody started it, but you did more. And then they, and that kind of battle doesn't stop. Right? Well, the problem, we don't have a, um, a mom to, to, to turn around to and say, right? Right, because those kids will. If you let those kids go, it'll it won't stop. Right, that'll just they'll just right. keep fighting for a while. It won't stop if until mom or dad back says we're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna stop the car. You need to stop, or we're gonna stop the car, and we're not gonna go to the, you know, McDonald's or whatever. And right, nobody. We don't. But as a nation, we don't have that. Yes, there's no referee. This would, people are people would love to have a referee in American politics. Does somebody tell us who's right and who's wrong? Right, but we don't have that. We don't have any. And so, I mean the. Again, when people ask me, how is this, what, you know, what, do you, what do you see going forward? I mean, there's no question that political conflict is going to get worse before it gets better. I'm not saying it'll never well, get better, but I mean, we're in this escalatory cycle where the two sides are just like those two kids in the backseat and they're just beating on each other and they're paying back. And, you know, again, let's say even if the Democrat, uh, you know, the Democratic candidate wins the presidency. That doesn't mean that Trump supporters right. are going to walk away and quit. They're right. going to get madder. And uh, the same thing in the other direction. So, I mean, it, it's hard to find a place for this to, to stabilize when it's when the sort of outrage spiral is is, is so intense. Um, and that's what I worry about. So the, the natural, I think, historical analogy is is the Civil War. But I don't I don't know that the Civil War was um, driven by the populace being so upset, say, by slavery that right. we have to we have to go to war. I think it was sort of it was more of a top down uh, or, or, you know, it, it, I didn't I don't know that the average farmer in in Vermont cared about uh you know, slavery in the South enough to pick up a gun and go fight for it. Um, so, but like, is that is that when you say it gets worse before it gets better, how, how does it get better without some sort of massive event that that would that I don't I don't I guess I don't if, if we're saying that it's just going to keep spiraling upward or downward, whichever way that I, how does how do we break that without going into armed conflict. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you're, I forget who it is, the English politician, politician that talked about being events were what's important. I think events are important. Um, you know, so who, 
it's hard to know what could happen to sort of shake people out of this or a powerful personality. Um, I don't, you know, again, this is sort of above my pay grade in the sense that I don't, you know, I'm not going to predict a lot of, of things, but it, it right, something's got to break this, the cycle here a little bit. Right. You can see how it, how it's playing out. Um, and, uh, you know, what everything that the, the, in the informational environment that, you know, the internet, uh, the media environment is uh, you know, all of that is just fodder for all this. Right. So, I mean, that's what's, if there's a difference between the way political conflict operated in the past than it is now, I mean, uh, the media environment's clearly, uh, you know, the thing that's made this more intense or certainly, I mean, worse. I don't know how, what what to say, but it's it's certainly um, uh, you know intensified this and made it a more yeah more kind of a a, a battle of of uh, of lots of people who they fight every day I, on Facebook. Right. So well, I think so. Maybe I, on Facebook, as far as I can tell. Right. Right. Twitter. Uh, I, I think um, so. So I know it's a cheesy and, and sort of corny, but you know when they talk about global warming and, and or climate change or or you know pollution in general, it's it's always like um, the message is kind of just worry about your corner of the world, right? Just do your bit. So I, I guess is there? I mean, if you just say I'm going to be better on Facebook, I'm not going to click on that you know, clickbait article saying, you know, Democrats mm-hmm. are idiots. Um, just generally, personally trying to improve the tone. Does it, is that, or is it, I, is that just sort of a waste? No, I absolutely think, I think that's the only thing to do. Right. I mean, so yeah. the problem, so I get asked this question, like I study, you know, political conflict and, and how this, Sort of plays out. So, so people are, you know, and when I give talks, the the questions are dominated by essentially questions that come down to what's going to fix this, what's going to fix this, what's going to fix this, right? And it's almost the so, social psychology is is provided some sort of ideas about what might break things down. None of them are scalable. None of them are things that you could say, oh, well, let's in, let's take a program. Uh, that'll take the whole country and make them some some way. So, for example, people are people are more willing to accept uh, information that challenges their views if they've been affirmed, if their self has been affirmed, right? So you can do experiments where you give just give people a chance to express their values, and then you or or, or not give them that opportunity, right? Uh, and then have them confronted with some information that challenges their attitudes. They're more accepting of the of the information that challenges their attitudes that they've just kind of been made to feel a little bit better, like they're a better, more worthy person, right? So you know, affirming people is really great. I try to, when I talk to my neighbors who don't, who disagree with me about things, like some, I don't know, like gun control, I usually try to sort of affirm their values. I say, you know, I get why you'd be concerned about your safety. I have three daughters. Right. I've right. always been, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a family man. I'm concerned about their safety too. I get it. Right. I get why, you, why, why having a gun might be something that's important to you. Okay. Now let's talk about the details. You know, how many guns you need, you know, what, right. And things like that really help if you kind of find, again, I know it's like all these things start, start to sound a little cheesy, but cheesy might 
be what we need in this, you know, you know really, <laughs> right? And I don't know what else you could cover to try to do that around. I mean, I struggle with my Facebook personality. You know, I, you know, I, I try to be the one that, that, you know, sees both sides and things, but I, every once in a while, I'll lash out. Um, you know, my- so, so let, me, let me make a couple of just gross generalizations that I, I sort of believe, and you can tell me how incredibly wrong I am, because that's, that's really the point of this, right. uh, is for me to be shut down and embarrassed. Um, when you, like, when you talk about seeing both sides, I, I attribute, and again, this is just me and my bias, my perspective. I see the people on the left doing a lot of hand-wringing about trying to see both sides, about trying to understand where the other party's coming from, you know, to, to, to try and, and reach a common conclusion or, or to compromise. I, I feel, again, emotions, that that's far more prevalent on the left than it is on the right. I get the feeling that the, the right is much more binary, and I think we can get into this later in the discussion about, you know, black and white versus gray and who, who drifts to which side. But is that, is that just, am I just, you know, being a left lover when I say that, or is there any, is there any backup to that, that, that like, do you, do you feel that the right just as equally those people on the right are equally uh, sort of anxious about making sure that both sides get heard and, and that common compromise is found? So, so let me answer this carefully, right? So, I mean, again, it's really so. This is sort of this issue that's that is taken over in the field about sort of symmetry versus asymmetry. Do are liberals and conservatives sort of just flip sides of the same coin, right? Or are they, or is, or usually, you know, because of sort of the liberal academia, it becomes well, are conservatives kind of the bad guys? And of course, conservatives. That, you know, would, would would see liberals as the bad guys. When I put bad guys, I mean sort of cognitively the bad guys, intellectually the bad guys, the ones that are biased and uh, and things like that. And I think again, too often it sort of comes down to who's good and who's bad, almost like I just said it. And and there's no question that the psychology of the two sides is very different, and they probably are good and bad in different ways, right? I'll start off by let me talk about sort of. Generally, I mean, my my personal politics are liberal, and some p- people very often sort of call me out uh, or or say, "Well, when I express a political," and then in, in, in my research, I, I a lot of what I study is how similar liberals and conservatives are in the way they sort of think about things, right? Um, you know, so I get I get called out every once in a while when I say, "Well, one side's bad," or you know, I don't like I, I dislike Donald Trump. I think he's a terrible president. I think he's a terrible person. Uh, you know, and, and, I was, and people say, well, you can't say that, then you lose your objectivity. I say, no, you know, being objective is being able to say it's equal and it's equal. And when, it, and when one side's better, one side's better, right? That's, it's, it's not always being just splitting the difference. He said, she said kind of thing, right? It's, it's trying to see the world and, and figure out what, you know, what, what's really out there and what are the strengths and weaknesses of both sides. Cons- this conservative personality, right? What, what we find is that person people who are attracted to the uh, the Republican Party tend to be uh, kind of more cognitively uh, high in structure, in uh, need for closure, uh, less open to experience. Uh, you know, so they're kind of close. They want simple, just like kind of conservatism might suggest. They want sort of simple answers, structure. They like things the way they are, rather than you know opening up to new things. There's no question about that. Liberals more open to experience. 
uh, you know, uh, more, uh, you know, less need for structure and, and order and all those sorts of things. There's no question those exist. And then those create certain differences in the way we, we respond to things. We have different moral values, right? What, you know, what liberals and conservatives value morally is different. There's no question, right? There really are different kinds of things going on. But the question is, does that make people more biased or not? And what we find in this, you know, I just published this big meta-analysis where we look at all these different, uh, study, every study we could find where, where you can look at partisan bias, you know, whether people tend to favor their own side, give their own side the benefit of the doubt that they don't give the other side, uh, you know, that they accept information that, that supports their political views more than information that doesn't support their views. So we find all those, and we, and we could look and see who's more biased, liberals, conservatives, in those sorts of experiments. Right. And we find that the two sides are really sort of equally biased. Everybody tends to like information, believe information more if it supports their group. If it makes their group look good, makes their beliefs, the beliefs of that group look good. But both liberals and conservatives do that. Right. And they do it to, to roughly equal degrees in an, in an experimental context. And what that means is that both sides are vulnerable to that. Both, every, that's the way people are built. We're super groupy. We're super tribal. Right. We tend to that once we sort of believe in a group and, and identify with a the group, then. Right. We really, uh, you know, kind of then the, the things our group does are good. And if, even if the group does the, another group does exactly the same thing, it's bad. Right. The same behavior is interpreted differently depending on who does it. Um, and all that's there. Right. And so it, both sides have the potential. You know, right now there's something, some other dynamic going on with the conservative movement and serve it's been sort of taken over and uh you know and and that doesn't necessarily mean that liberals and conservatives you know one's good and one's bad but that under different historical circumstances it's likely that things go crazy on one side and there you know they've been uh you know sort of left-wing versions of that that you could imagine um uh and uh you know and so i you know i don't like to sort of say one side is, uh, there's there's no question that liberals are biased, right? That liberals right. have certain views that they just want to believe and they hold on to those. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, and, and we can go over some of those if you like. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, both sides do it and it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that it's, it's perfectly no. to like one side more than the other as well. I, I get that. I guess I'm I'm wondering about the. I think we're going to be studying the Trump impact for generation, but I I feel like the the, the war on facts, the the relativeness of truth. Um, my perception is that seems to be coming from one corner. Mm -hmm. I think I think the left is guilty of another number of things. You know, like virtue signaling and, um, you know, your your protesting your your grievance on behalf of type events. But I think my primary concern is that we come out of this where there is, there are no truths, right? There are no, because you will never find compromise with anyone unless you sort of agree on this is where we're starting from. Um, yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Or yeah, does, so is there any? And let me, so what, I, like, when I say that both sides, both sides, I think have the potential to be biased, it's, it's really natural for people to want to favor their own group, right? So that's there, and that that process can be weaponized. And what Trump has done is sort of weaponized 
motivated reasoning. He's weaponized this kind of you know, uh, process where, you know, political conflict is really natural. It's really natural when groups get together that they're going to fight over resources and things like that. And that's the, the natural tendencies that, or is for that to get, I mean, look across the course of human history, the natural tendencies for people to fight and do things. It's easy right. to make people fight. It's hard to pull people apart, right? But he's, so what's so powerful about what he's doing is sort of saying, look, our group's the best, we're the best, believe what I say, believe what our side says, right? And it's everything you hear, that's just fake news, that's nothing, you know, don't, you know, all, all of that stuff, it just, people sort of eat that up because it goes with the flow of human nature. It goes with, so, right, so the- So, so if, I, if I extrapolate that, then, then you're saying that the left is equally at risk for their own version of Trump. That's it just I, hasn't happened yet. That's what I think liberals walk around thinking we could never be Trump. There's no liberal Trump, and I'm not sure I believe that. I, right. Right. I, and I don't, that doesn't mean, I mean, right now, I, I, again, I think that the, the beliefs of the Democratic Party, you know, the liberal world uh, are much closer to reality than the ones that conservatives uh, hold. I think liberals are, are behaving better, uh, you know, than, than, than conservatives are. But I don't know under other circumstances whether things couldn't, couldn't be free. Right. There, there's, it's a phase, it's a cycle, it's, um, it's a happenstance of our time. Yeah, the psychologists aren't that different of the two. They're right. So you're, you're saying there's, you're saying that there's nothing intrinsically embedded in the left that would prevent a Trump-like figure. That our norms, our values, our beliefs just would not allow that to happen. That's not. The, yeah, as much as I could. favor our version of mor morality, and that's part of what I try to separate out is. You know, people can have moral views. You can have political views. It's totally, you know, reasonable, right? For people, I like liberals or I like conservatives. What I try to challenge is, oh, that it's it's a deeper, you know, issue that that somehow, you know, that that uh, this side is more biased than this side, or this side is more, you know, and, and kind of sorting that out. Sort of that. What what's the? My, you know, all of my research is about sort of separating out this moral reasoning from factual reasoning, prescriptive reasoning from descriptive reasoning, and this tendency for people to mix those up all the time, that people come to believe things that they think are morally good, that morally, and our, our moral wishes change the way we believe facts about the world, and that's what's so polarizing in a sense, So because it changes yeah. the way so people let's, the facts. So, so, and I think, so part of that gets into the grievance question and I guess, um, and, and the phenomenon of, I think of virtue signaling can, is that on your radar at all? Or, or what's, what's behind the explosion of, of that? Grievance is sort of a, again, I think it's a really natural, that's why I use sort of simple examples like kids in the backseat fighting. I mean, it's a really natural tendency, right? You kind of groups interact or people interact. We're always, we're, we are sort of hyper moral creatures, right? We're humans, to not, to use, not to use a technical term, but humans are super judgy, right? I mean, we're always judging things. We're always trying to figure out how am I doing? Am I getting what I deserve? Well, are you being a good person or not? Um, you know, that's real natural to us. And so, and, and in, just in that context, you're likely to feel like, oh, I've been aggrieved. Think about your personal relationships. I and mean, that's what marital fights are usually about. It's like, oh, I, I deserve this. I deserve my, this time because of what you did. 
And there's a lot of feelings about what you deserve and don't deserve. That's the way people sort of operate. And But in a political context, right, it becomes really two people or two groups, right? It, it has this escalatory quality to it where every time you, you're grieved and so I pay back, now now I pay back you, but a little bit more, I pay back you a little bit more and things go up like you know, like that. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, grievance just happens and we're just happen to be in one of these cycles that it's, it's and, you know, Trump is a grievance machine. <laughs> I get, so I get that. And I get I get it when it especially when it impacts you directly, right? Your sister's banging on you in the, the backseat, mm-hmm. right? You're aggrieved. But I think I we've seen this um pretty large uh growth in being aggrieved on behalf of someone else. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Is is that a valid trend or and, and what do you attribute? Is that just you know, I'm a straight white male. I really don't have anything to be aggrieved about. So I'm going to go be aggrieved by, you know, black people not getting reparations or, or what is, is that what it is? I'm looking to be aggrieved. I, yeah, I think it is once you use, there's some power in being aggrieved, right? There's some virtue in it um, that people search for. I mean, again, it, I, I, this is kind of what I'm interested in studying now. I just think this phenomenon is so prevalent. And I, you know, I, I don't think there's been a lot of research, you know, on you know, grievance as a sort of psychological, uh, you know, phenomenon. People love, re- you know, revenge is very satisfying for people. <laughs> you know, people mm-hmm. found that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just you can see the dynamic. So that you know, sort of the whole Trump phenomenon was kind of a grievance phenomenon, right? It's the liberals right. don't you're, you're you're mocking us somehow. You don't you know you don't value us, and you're so snooty and and you know this kind of payback that 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 they that the feeling the power that they got from from winning that sort of owning somebody, right? That that's the the internet language. I owned you, right? We you know Trump just owned the liberals when he won. And you know that's so powerful. And liberals, you know, are, are grieved again about all these, you know, the the mis, the you know, the obvious sort of you know injustices that have gone on. And you're right, I I do think there there's a sort of difference. Everybody's got grievance, but the kind of grievance is different, right? So and I think that's a really interesting observation that you know what a lot of liberals grieve for other people, you know, particularly right. rich, educated liberals. Uh, right. Probably listen to your podcast. <laughs> uh, right, and they're aggrieved on other parts. Right, yeah, it's just it's just a fascinating sort of thing. Um, I guess to to see it, you see it on Facebook all the time, and 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 then obviously then there's the the component of Facebook, um, and and the the massive sort of um, impact it's had on our political discourse. Um, yeah, and there's a good example too of of how corrosive grievance and and. Yeah, so if you're in a in, you're in a Facebook conversation and something happens, you could sort of take a minute and you could one impulse is to try to help, right? Say something either informative or give a link or do something, or you could own the person, right? Right. You could just nail yes. them, hang them Feels on, good. on your own petard, and that's just it's such a powerful desire to do that. And well, once you do that, it just has a, you know this corrosive effect of. The other person wanting to do it too, and that's that's the struggle that we're in. Do we just want to pay these people back, or do we want to move forward somehow? Yes, because I'm right. <laughs> because you're right, right? And they're so wrong. They're so so wrong. So so wrong about the facts. 
you know, so wrong about their what's right and what's wrong, you know, and, and you just want to own them. You just want them to, to, to recognize that. And once you're, you know, once you're in that cycle, it's a very different mentality to be in than, you know, this august legislative sort of mentality that we imagine of people trying to make laws that benefit the most people. And, you know, it's just, it's, and trying to find some way to compromise. It's just, those things just don't go together well. So, so does your advice for like the in-person conversations about affirming them and, and then continuing the conversation, you would also apply that to Facebook conversations? Sure. I think so. I mean, I mean, it's always good to try to find common ground. I do think there, I do think that in, but I would say like, I would say that's a very liberal view. Like, how do you, and again, this is, this is the big liberal argument. Like, how do you find common ground with Nazis? Yes. Right. How do you not just punch Nazis? Yes. So, and I, and, and I, I understand, I, I, I understand the core drill that like at, at our core, we're, we're just, we're two peas of the pod. We see things differently, but ultimately our, our innate motivations are, are the same. I, I guess I just, and, and it, it may be circumstantial this time that we're in this period that we're in. It may be circumstantial that the pendulum has swung you know, the pendulum of kookiness has swung to the right. But I, I guess I feel, how do you, how do you understand that you have the bias, but you still would, because when I think when you say that, when you say stuff like that, I feel, you know, am I, am I really correct in correcting these people about the, you know, the, the migrants and the border or whatever, or is that just my inherent bias, you know, trying you know, and maybe I'm not seeing the situation correctly. Does that does that make sense? Does that question make sense? It's I mean, self doubt, I think. Well, I guess how do you differentiate between those quote unquote real situations, real real issues, real problems, like you know a Nazi, versus the the stuff that maybe you just impacted because of your bias? Hmm. Do you do you know what I mean? How do you know when you're 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 crossing over into being yeah. How do you identify yourself bias? How about that? Yeah, people are so people are terrible at identifying their their own biases, right? So this there's this wonderful phenomenon called the bias blind spot where people people get that people are biased, right? You ask them about all kinds of things, they'll say yes, but they'll always say I'm less biased than other people are. Right? We don't see mm-hmm. we experience the world as if it all you know we're we're seeing it and there it is and it's right in front of you right and what you fail to recognize is that your own preconceptions and your own your own your own sort of emotional connections and things are are biasing the way you you process the information it's really hard for people to to get that right i mean intellectually so i mean that's the the trick is how do you how do you, how do you get people to um see the world you know, better in some ways when they feel like they see it well anyway. One, another interesting phenomenon that's kind of related to this in uh, psychological research is uh, that there's been a lot of studies lately showing that the you, we usually think that the smarter somebody is or the more they know about a topic, the, that should reduce bias, make you less biased. Mm. But in politics, it seems like the people who know the most and, uh, you know, sometimes there are even some evidence that the ones that are a little bit smarter are more biased by their politics than less knowledgeable people. 
right? So if you think you know a lot, right? If you're a really smart person and you're a conservative, you might be really good at arguing about all the details of global warming and why there's all these holes in the theory, right? Because you can apply this intelligence to to break other people's arguments down, but if you don't recognize that you're bi- doing that in a biased way, right? It, you just kind of win, right? You just you just you're you're good at being biased because you're so smart, right? So it's it's tough, you know. So then, then what do you do, right? So being even being smart kind of just makes you more biased. That people people just don't get that their politics are affecting their you know their their judgments very well, um, and so it, it makes it hard to tell, right? For any sort of individual to. You know, uh, you know, to to know when they're when they're, you know they're just not seeing the world clearly, or they are. You know, is Trump really the monster that people think he is? Right. At some point, right. though, yeah, he sort of he kind of looks like like he's terrible. But that's still that's still a subjective sure. comment as opposed to global warming, right? You know, again, I'm a scientist. I'm I believe in the truth and data. It's just. In politics, it's just the truth is so hard. To, this is why, I mean, the, the reason there's so much bias in politics is there's so much emotion. You've got, you know, these these tribal ties, these identity issues. People really care, and they you know, it reflects on themselves. There's a lot of emotion, and the answers are very unclear to things. Right. You know, it's easy to convince yourself uh, of lots of things. You know, this c- conspiratorial thinking, you know, all kinds of ways you can dig deeper around information. And, and no, I absolutely, the science on global warming is as clear as science can be, uh, you know, global climate change, right? There's no question about that. But the better the science is, it's not going to be any better at convincing people uh, just by mm-hmm. itself, right? Uh, it, 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 you know, the, the truth doesn't always win out in these situations. So, so you talked about um, Dick Cheney, uh, I think, is one of your examples um, of a of a, a shift in political viewpoint based based on uh, morals. Can is that something you can talk about briefly? Sure. You know, I use, when I talk about morality, I often use you know Dick Cheney as the example, um, and it's you know what I found so interesting about him is that, you know, and on virtually every dimension, he sort of defines one end of being a conservative, you know, super pro-military, pro-guns, anti-regulation, you know, pro-fossil fuels, everything. You know, just every issue he defines, you know, conservatism except for one, which is he's pro-gay marriage. And well, as most people know now, he has a, a gay daughter who's married and has grandchildren. Sure, he loves all of them very much. And, uh, you know, so you say, well, how can somebody have that moral view? How can they have all these conservative views and this one thing sticking sticking out? Is there some coherent intellectual scheme that would have that all make sense, right? And no, it makes it more plausible to think that his emotions are affecting what he thinks is moral, that people, you know, he loves his daughter very much and he won't doesn't want to believe that she's a bad, immoral person. And so he comes to, you know, convinces himself that that's, that's true. And it just illustrates that's the way morality, morality is driven by emotion and, and by, you know, how we feel, who we, who we like, what they're doing, et cetera. So, so what do you say to the argument, that, and it may be intertwined, that he just lacks empathy? 
and uh-huh. that the right on the whole just sort of lacks empathy. Like um, I've always been in my life, I've been, you know, pro-gay. I, I never understood, you know, why anybody would sort of hassle gay people for whatever reason. Um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know anyone in my life who was gay or, you know, not till much later. But so I, I, I guess is, is there just where, where does empathy or the lack of empathy play a role in that? I, we hear story of the story of, you know, uh, Republicans who are anti-gay until they find out that someone yeah. in their family is gay. Um, and then all of a sudden they're, yeah, you know, gay people are great. And it's just, you know, it's just like, um, or they're, they're pro guns and until one of their children or a relative gets shot by a gun and then they're, well, maybe we should have some gun control. Yeah. Do, do, is, is there a difference in empathy levels between the sides? Um, and, and does that impact the, is it morality as much as it is empathy? Um, there's, you know, empathy's got a really kind of complicated, um, pattern of, of data people think about it you know in, in, in different ways it can be defined in different ways kind of kind of being able to think the way other people think or feel how they feel and and whatnot so it's all a, a little bit complicated there's no question that if you give people scales their, their psychological scales that measure sort of empathy and we've used those we have this website yourmorals.org that uh where people could go and fill out all these psychological scales um and um that's been up for years we have like 800 900,000 people in this data set we've done all kinds of analyses we've had these empathy scales up there and you you clearly get the pattern where liberals express the most empathy uh you're not going to functional i'm like on a psychological scale conservatives are are below that and actually the lowest are libertarians and tend to oh. be more in empathy if we can talk about there's a whole psychology of libertarianism that's really interesting uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, but I think we'd sort of deploy our empathy in different ways. I don't, it's a very plausible hypothesis that I don't know if anybody's collected data on. I mean, I've, I've, I've thought of that as well, you know, that the, the sense that, well, can I only, how does direct experience affect empathy? And it could be, again, you know, that, that uh, conservatives for some reason, you know, could require direct experience to get empathy and they don't sort of naturally do it. I think in some ways, it's deployed differently. You know, you can see conservatives getting sort of soppy and and emotional about things, right? But it's usually flag-related things, military-related things, things that are related to the sort of their morality, religious-related, uh, uh, you know, things like that. So it, it, it could be they simply don't de- you know, deploy their empathy the same way. And these are all the interesting questions. And I think I mean, I think you're facing the same dilemma I face, which is, you know, you have your own personal political views and analyses, and they, those, I, and I've said this in in in, in print before, uh, you know, that when I go home, I yell at the TV like a liberal, you know, and when I go to work, I go, wow, boy, this is a much more complicated situation. The psychologies of, of these, uh, you know, of these, and why would one group be that much more biased than the other group? Um, and I think there, you know, there's clearly both similarities and differences, you know, in, 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 <laughs> in the groups, uh, and sort of sorting those out is what we're trying to do. So, so I'll, I'll wrap this up, I guess, with one last sort of question or one, one more preconceived notion that I have is, is there a difference, um, speaking to morality because in, in, so again, in my head, I have a division of how people get their morality. 
their their morality is either self designed or self generated, or their morality is uh, given to them, you know, through external sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the the common analogy is, you know, uh, an atheist versus a, a, an extremely religious person, right? Where they look to the Bible for the answers versus someone who just kind of goes with their gut. Is there a differentiation when those when those people in in are you able to separate out those people, or does it make a difference of a person, or does it make a difference of what party they affiliate with? I mean, so how people get their develop their moral sense, right? That's sort of the big question. And there's, I mean, there's no question that it's a combination of some sort of genetic endowments, right? Again, some people, there's really, for example, there's no question that there's differences in levels of empathy. Some people feel more empathy. They feel other people's pain more intensely than other people feel. If, and it's true that, you know, if it, what's likely the case, right, is that if you're highly empathetic, you're going to be more attracted to liberal sorts of political views and things like that. Now, your empathy could be that you have some basic level of empathy and then things happen to you. Right? You're raised in certain families with certain traditions, you know, certain you know, subcultures, uh, your own individual things happen to you, you're traumatized or not, your life goes well or goes poorly. You know, you're, so what you decide is right and wrong, again, because I, what, what our research suggests and what lots of research suggests right, is it's an emotional process. It's we we feel right and wrong more than we think it. So that's really the, 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 the conflict was sort of the past views, the kind of classic view of how people develop morality. It's like, it was like a people as you know, babies as little moral philosophers, right? That they're developing these principles and thinking this whole thing through rather than people just kind of feel th- certain things and then decide, you know, what's, what's moral because they, it feels like it's wrong or it feels like it's right. And those feelings are shaped by all kinds of kinds of things, right? And they, there's no question that some of them come from you, right, internally, and, and then some are imposed on you from society. So if you're a highly empathetic person who's raised in some kind of religious context or, you know, social context that doesn't support that, then you're likely to get less empathetic, or you're likely to find yourself in conflict with that, you know, and reject those that moral system because it doesn't fit with your psychology. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there's all these kind of complicated interactions that go on where people can either be affected by the social situations around them or reject them and, and you know, find another group that fits better with the way you're feeling. Right. That makes, that makes sense. It's, it's environmentally driven. With a, with a combination, yeah, with a combination of your experience and and your your what you're around, what you're what you're interfacing with. No, I was just going to say, I, th- I think people. The the one thing I always try to leap when people talk about the psychology of liberals and conservatism, they often kind of think about liberal and conservative like they're introversion and extroversion, like they're things that people have, you know, that people or things that people are. But political views are things that people express or adopt. Right. And it's not that conservatives, for example, are sort of high in need for structure. It's people who are high in need for structure find conservative views attractive. People right. who are high in empathy find liberal views attractive. And so they, they right. go that way. But but you can pitch those in different ways. You can pitch you can pitch conservatism in a more empathetic way. You can, you know, all those things can change. 
but it's really the personality that's picking these these self expressions, um, and uh, you know, and all those things are historically variable too. Right. Well, fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> you know, I think. <laughs> You know, I think one of the takeaways, and this is, you know, some of the other uh, guests have, have really said, it's just a matter of, you know, try and be nicer, try and take a breath, try and, you know, like you were saying, try and affirm someone else's point of view. Um, try and remember that we're all working to, you know, the same generic goal, which is, you know, a better America uh, and a better place to live. So um, could not could 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 not hurt. All right, Doctor, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think it was super informative um, and I learned a lot. Um, so I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Well, uh, thanks for having me. It was fun. Hey, everyone. Uh, so for the epilogue, um, first, I want to apologize a little bit. There was a I, I wasn't really um, on point during that. And, and I struggled, I think, with some of the questions and phrasing the questions because I think it's a it's a pretty ambiguous area and and it's hard to define in general, uh, much less try and talk about it in any sort of precise uh, manner. So, and I think I think the two core things that I was really striving to get at in in to understand were, you know, does does the fact does the liberal um, proclivity to want to find middle ground make it harder for us to uh, confront really, quote unquote, really bad things when they do start coming up? Um, is, is that an inherent weakness? Are we slower to respond? Um, are our responses less effective? You know, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, do we still attempt to seek out middle ground or, or to find consensus? Uh, even with people that there is no finding consensus with. And then to, to that question, the second part of that question or the second part of that conundrum is when, when, how do you know when the, the other side has crossed that line? You know, it's really easy when someone walks up with a swastika armband and, you know, a SS hat on an SS beanie um, and you just yeah you, like you know that's it um, but how, how do you know in, in the moment we have the we have with Nazis which keep getting used we have the advantage of historical perspective um, and and we don't we don't have that in in the current in the moment and how do we know when we veered off from different political viewpoints in different approaches into truly this is stuff that there is no middle ground on. And is that kids in cages? You know, is that abortion? Um, you know, the, the, the problem with is now, even, even as I think about it, there are arguments about putting the kids in cages, right? Like, you got to have them somewhere, you, you know, the people are breaking the law, you know, the, the parents have to be processed. We've got to put those children somewhere. We don't want to put them in an adult jail. Um, you know, but I think where, where the diversion or the division begins 
is then how do you treat those children? You know, do you track them? Yes. Do you bathe and wash them and give them access to medical care? Yes. Do you allow them to see their parents on a regular basis? Yes. You know, um, I think that's, and maybe, you know, as, as the professor was saying, it comes back to morality sort of touchstones and, and, and where your own values lie. But I can't help but think that there's very few people in America that don't, don't value treating children correctly, sort of regardless of what the parents have done. And when you find yourself on someone on the other side of that, there shouldn't be guilt or angst about not wanting to find a common ground, about just being right and just being wrong. So be kind to one another, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.